We're rolling. We're rolling. Uh, so I'm very excited. We have a guest on the show. Special episode. What's it called? These are called the drive through discussions. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and today we have uh, Daniel Bartholomew Poiser. And I do say his name incorrectly later on. Uh, we can all laugh and cry through that moment. Um, I just wanted to make a note. Maggie wasn't with us when we were recording. She's here now. Say hi. Hello. But we missed her truly and deeply. And um, yeah, I'll talk about today's guest a little bit. Daniel um, is a conductor at the Symphony, uh, Toronto Symphony Orchestra. And I'm going to read his bio. Daniel earned his bachelor's in music performance and education from the University of Calgary and received his master's of philosophy and performance from the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester, England. He's been awarded the Canadian Council for the Arts um, Jean-Marie Boudet Prize. (laughs) This is a great intro. (laughs) For orchestral conducting and has served as assistant conductor of the Kitchener-Waterloo Symphony and associate conductor of the Thunder Bay Symphony Orchestra. Daniel's performed with the San Francisco Symphony, the Toronto Symphony, the Vancouver Symphony, the Calgary Philharmonic. It goes on and on. He's currently holding a coveted position as the artist in residence and community um, ambassador at Symphony Nova Scotia. Um, And he's living and working right now in Toronto, which is why he was able to stop by and talk to us. And um, God, a man of many, many talents and accomplishments sounds really cool and i don't want to be uh too shallow but he's also just a babe just a stone cold fox he really is he <laughs> loves himself a soup dumpling that man oh he oh, does God. and he earned it the first thing i said that's a beautiful person yeah he really did i sent maggie <laughs> a photo in the group chat and she said wow he's beautiful <laughs> and i told him that just said his oh, heart pouring out it so really anyway, is. enjoy the conversation. On that note, everybody, let's get ready for Daniel. I'm so excited to announce we have an extremely special guest on our show today. Mm-hmm. His name is Daniel Bartholomew Poser, and he is <laughs> one of the most exciting people we've ever met. Um, Poiser, not Poser. <laughs> Great start. We're off to a really good start. I guess I, in my head, I've been calling you Poser this whole time. Every every email I get, Poser. Like, there he is. What a loser. Mr. Po- Just a Poser. Just pretending. I'm going to leave that all in. Pretending like, you know, I, think it's, I think it's up to everyone's individual interpretation. Yeah, your name's more suggestion. <laughs> it's like imposter syndrome is written into my name. Like, oh, God. I'm really good. Um, so thank you for agreeing to be on this podcast. Yes, We're thank honored you very to have much. you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It's glad, glad to be here. I wanted to start by just the basics. How do we, how do we all know each other? How did we bump into each other's lives <laughs> in such a unusual fashion? Are you asking me? Yeah. Oh, okay. and, and Elise can, I want, yeah. I want you two well, to answer this. Daniel. Because you guys have known each other the longest. Me and Daniel have known each other the longest. And when I met Daniel, I was very starstruck because I met Daniel. uh, I came into our work environment and 
everybody was in the tail end of editing a documentary called Disruptor Conductor. Right. It's available on CBC Gem. Right now. Right now. Streaming available now, to go available. check it out. And uh, it's about Daniel. It's a bit of like a biopic and about his career. And so my job by the tail end of editing was to do the annotated bibliography. And for those who don't know what that is, that's essentially where it's like, it's the time code, what's happening in the screen and what's being said. So that was my job was to go through literally like second by second and be like, this is what he said. This is what's happening. Oh, this wow. is what's... And so I would be saying things along with you because I'd have to watch it a hundred times. So I'd be like, you'd be like, you know, if my mom wasn't like that, I wouldn't be here. I just, I, mm -mm, I just wouldn't be. And I would like say it along with you. Are you wow. being like, that's how serious I am about conducting. I just snapped my baton. And then one day Byron was like, oh, he's like, I'm just going to go grab a coffee with Daniel. We just have some stuff to talk about. Do you want to come? And I was like, D Daniel, I was like, we're going to have, we're going to have coffee with Daniel. And we were like sitting there and you were like, Hey Byron, like whatever, just talking. And I was like, Oh, I, really? I, I didn't like, realize that. Oh my gosh. I, I was trying so hard to be chill. And then I was like, and then I met you and I was like, you were exactly how I thought you were going to be. Not only because I've watched several hours now of the same documentary, <laughs> I'm so sorry. but also because I was like, I just was so blown away by you. And then oh. it was a pleasure. And then we met and it was like, we had some humor in common. And I was like, Oh, thank God. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. We, um, I remember that. Because he was like, oh, here's our new person. I don't remember. Associate, affiliate, accomplice. <laughs> like, oh, Idiot. great, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it was at the end of the, um, it was at the end of the, the doctor, the documentary process, Yeah, I guess. And I still didn't really have my head wrapped around what was like how it all worked. And, mm -hmm. you know, what's the difference between a producer and an executive producer? And like all like, and even like things I don't know. Oh, here's like, you know, a guy called Cade working on video. What's he doing? He's mm -hmm. editing. Oh, okay. What's that? Like, yeah. I don't really like, you know, cause everything that we see in the news and on television is just presented as a fait accompli. So like, oh, here's the finished product, but really trying to understand what happens. Um, it was really a huge learning experience for me. So my respect for everything that everybody does in television media has gone way, way, way up. Like when I see a really well done 15 second commercial, I'm just like, oh, that probably took like a month or, mm -hmm. or whatever. And nobody's sleeping. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was the beginning. Yeah. And then that was, I don't know how long ago. Was that two years? Maybe. Yeah. That was probably about That's two crazy. years ago now. That's and then, crazy. and then it was just kind of like, like Byron, uh, we will maybe we'll call him Brian Wan as he likes to refer to himself. Sometimes. Brian Wan, yeah, that's like his alter ego that he confuses for himself sometimes. Got but it. Byron loves people with good energy, so it kind of was like obviously we've had a lot of projects with people where it's like this is what it's about and then it ends. But like with Daniel, it was like we always wanted a way to work with you again, and through both of our efforts, I think that's happened. Like you mm -hmm. bring a lot of projects to us, we want to include you in a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Like Byron's always trying to find ways to be like, yeah, but also we should bring Daniel into this. Like he would be a great voice for that so it's like it's continued to be a working relationship and a friendship like you just mm -hmm. fit so well into our team and it's like and it's really interesting because it's i was explaining to somebody and they're like oh do you work with byron i'm like no i don't work no i don't work for him he doesn't work for me we work but we work alongside of each other yeah like really really it's really very really much overlaps. it's really well and it's really yeah there's lots of overlap but it's really it's just really nice yeah it's not like an employee really nice. employer relationship yeah. it's just like here's some collaborative options for us yeah exactly and especially now with everything that's happening with mm -hmm. uh, with with we all know what's going on right now the pandemic blah 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 um it's just really nice to have that sort of a connection and everybody's working on and you know just watching your teamwork um 
has helped me help other people in the industry. Mm-hmm. And just knowing like, no, this is not how you do this. Yeah. Okay. This is not standard. This needs to be like this. We should be editing this. Like it needs to be. Um, and so yeah. I don't know if Byron's process should be industry standard. But with that, it's been incredible to see uh, how you have taken those lessons and applied them to all the different kind of work you do. Uh, recently we did like a short film for the TSO, a Halloween short and Dan, Daniel just was he almost it's like he absorbed so much information from us and became all of those roles at the same time. And it was like we all just had to take a step back and be like, oh, for the first time, we're working with someone who's not only in control, but knows what they want and what it takes to get that. So it was like such a pleasure to just see somebody who wanted to act, direct, produce, write and do it well. (laughs) It's only only because of COVID because. We just had to come up with something really fast. and I'm, But I'm always, you know, whenever I see a movie that's like acted, directed, produced by the same person, I'm like, oh, it's going to be bad. <laughs> that's why I was like, no, okay, a what do you guys think? Vision. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what do you guys think? We can change stuff. We can change. So I tried to. But that was actually, that was really, um, that was really an epic thing yeah. that we were able to pull off. You killed it. And I was, I mean, it was really interesting. I think a bit of, of the way through, I was like, oh my gosh, am I being a director right now? I, I guess I am. But it was, um, it was just watching what, what, uh, Kate, who was doing the, the videography, the Cinema- filming, yeah. the cinematography. He was like the, uh, <laughs> at that point, actually, he wasn't really, because like you had kind of made the shot list. He really was just there to be the camera operator. Yeah. Well, he did a great yeah, job. Yeah. You wrote too, the so. script, made the shot list, directed it on set. They, I mean, I wasn't actually there for any of this. <laughs> nor was I part of the project. You have, Weren't you? <laughs> nope. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing oh. to do with it. <laughs> It's all just one big yeah, blur Yeah, just now. one big blur. So. so I wanted to ask, um, because you were teaching, mm-hmm. then sort of large life shift career-wise into conducting. Yes. However, I want to take it back to high school. Oh, oh we're going there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What were you like in high school? What What did you want oh to be? Gosh. What What were you thinking about back then? That's so funny. I was thinking about high school the other, like literally just the other day. Um, when I was in high school, like grade 10, I remember being fun. I did football. I oh. did the football. What position football did you play? I was defensive center for some reason. I don't understand <laughs> why that was, but that's what I was. Nose tackle, I believe it was called. Um, I was against the guy. Yeah. I was right in the middle and it was just like very simple instructions. Just, I, I vividly remember my first football game having almost no clue what the rules of the game were because I got, cause I was like, like I, I wasn't raised with like football, blah, 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 blah. So we were just doing stuff like at, at the practices and they're like, okay, t- practice tackling. Okay. Practice a sprint in this direction. Okay. This person has the ball, go after them, tackle them in this fashion or whatever. And then we get to the first game and I was just doing, it's really, it's hard to describe, but it's just, I was just doing these things, but not really understanding like certainly not downs at all. Cause we hadn't done that in practice. So there's just this, Oh, everybody knows I'm the rules. I'm still unclear on yeah, most of like, the rules of everybody football. Everybody knows the rules to football. So I literally went through my first football game, um, not knowing the rules of the sport. Cause it's just assumed, right. <laughs> Which is ridiculous anyways. And then I also remember like the sixth or seventh football game that we, that we did. <laughs> it was against Rundle high school. I distinctly remember this. <laughs> So I'm running along and it just so happened that a person from the other team was also running the same direction as me, but I was behind. I can't, I don't know what circumstances would provoke that <laughs> circumstance, but that's what happened. So I was behind them. So I was like, oh, there's like an opposing member. So I just, I just pushed them. 
right? And then they fell. And as they fell, I noticed that they were like swearing at me, but it was like a disproportionate amount. So I was like, this seems like odd. They seem quite angry yeah. about this. So I went to my coach and I was like, <laughs> Mr. Mercer. <laughs> I said, Mr. Like, coach Mercer. I, so I, this guy was running in front of me and I just pushed him over. Am I allowed to do that? <laughs> his response, he went, well, not really. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's what I was like. Oh, okay. So only the guy with the ball. Okay, <laughs> got it. You can't That's just what football get upset. was like. Did I mention that I was like was struggling with sexual identity at that time? <laughs> Toss that in there. Is that from Absolutely. Uh, I also did. I also did rugby, which is better than football, in my opinion. Um, I I just I think there's a real metaphor in there that you were just <laughs> running forward, like pushing you. people out of the way, not knowing the rules. I think I think there's a disruptor conductor path yeah, we could uh, parallel we could draw <laughs> between that story. So oh then you gosh. got into rugby. I was not expecting your high school stories to be filled with sports. No, and but they're they're not filled with sports. These are. These are one of events, single seasons. I did a season of football and then I did two seasons of rugby and I didn't enjoy football. I remember before football, just being filled with anxiety before each game. Mm -hmm. You didn't know the rules. Yeah, I didn't know the rules. (laughs) And I was just like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not like a super confrontational person. So Uh, we have a story to say otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. No, just you pushing that kid over. Um, What was, what was your rugby experience? Uh, Rugby was way more fun. Super, super enjoyable. I was a prop and then I was a second. I really liked rugby because it's constant motion, constant Mm -hmm. action. Yeah. It's like hand soccer. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, I think, so I think rugby is a superior sport. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, we're the Commonwealth. It's fine. So what do you, what did you think you wanted to do when you were in high school? At that school? point in high school, I was pretty sure that I wanted to be a car, de- a car interior designer for Audi. Oh, which cool. is that still, is so specific. I'm very, very, um, yeah, sure about that. I'm still very opinionated about cars. How, how did you come up with that profession? Why Audis? What? Let's talk about this. Oh my gosh. And to this day, you only drive Volkswagen. manuals. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so oh, okay. Or, I'm sorry, standard, standard. Car interiors are very, very important to me. Please tell us why. <laughs> because that's the place that you're sitting. It's almost like your second home, right? And sometimes, um, I, okay, and this is like very nerdy. I know it's a very specific. How appropriate thing. you're on the parking lot podcast, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's like I'm. The, I would like like I I will just go to car dealerships, you know, pre COVID, and just get, look in the cars and just see how like how do knobs feel like when you push a button? Is it like a single click or so? If you get into an Audi and you feel everything, like how it feels. I guess maybe I'm just like a very sensate person, but it everything. feels feels like quality. So it's like the turn signal lever. It's like a kathunk. It's a, and they spent they spent so much time on it. Audi's really, really thought it through. So I always thought that ergonomically Audi had the best interiors. My favorite interior was the 1992 Infinity QX uh what was it? No, Q45. Um it was like a super high level car. But what Infinity did, it was very, very modern. They had no wood on the inside. So Lexus, Cadillac, Lincoln, they would all have wood on the mm-hmm. inside of their car interiors. But Infinity went totally against the grain, haha, and they had no wood. It was really, really beautiful, very simple, very elegant, right? So I don't know why I like car interiors, but I've also been very passionate about it. Um, yeah, I, I, I still would. I, was, I mean, I think their interiors right now, I think they're still, they've always been the class leader in terms of interior design quality this for has decades, never Audi. crossed my mind what seriously would you, blowing my mind oh my what gosh. would you have had to do to make that happen i would have had and to, why didn't you well it's funny i um when i was in grade nine 
I was had to decide if I was going to do CAD, um, which which stands for it was like career like it was design. Oh, I was, right. was going to either go design or music, and my teacher was like, you know, Dan, you should really really think about music because all like when I was in high in junior high school. During lunch hours, I'd be playing music. I'd be doing music all the time. She's like, you know, this could be a great thing for you in high school. You might just enjoy it. You can always go back. You can always learn, you know, the design stuff later if you want to. So I was like, you know what? That's actually true. And then music took over. Like I I didn't take over. I chose music Mm -hmm. all along the way. Um, But that's what instrument did you play? Tuba. Tuba. Tuba was the main instrument. Oh, cool. So. um, Lightweight, easy to carry. Oh, it's like the. Low maintenance. Compact. Cool. It's it's low maintenance, but it's not easy. It's not easy to store and not easy to carry. (laughs) Doesn't fit in your Audi very well. Well, that's why I always drive station wagons. I always have wagons, right? So so that's like something that people don't know. I love cars a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, And what's interesting too is that in terms of cars and music, there are real... Like, okay, so there's a principle in art um, that was enunciated by Arnold Schoenberg, who was a late 19th century Viennese composer. He said, everything the same, everything different, right? So late 19th, basically in romantic music, they had this idea that a piece of music should always be coming from a geminal seed or or, a germinal seed, not geminal, germinal seed. So like from this one little idea, like like four notes, you come Mm -hmm. up with an entire symphony, right? So you're planting a seed. So everything the same, everything different. So um, you could always usually in like a lot of 19th century music relate any melody back to some idea that's come before it. Everything's evolving. Everything's always evolving. Right. Um, so if you look at a Cadillac, for example, like CTS, uh, the Cadillac CTS, the STS, and you look at the shield of the Cadillac and how there's that V. Mm -hmm. And then next time you look at a Cadillac, just count the V's on a Cadillac count from the front of the grill to the interior, to the seats, to the back. It's like a thematic element that unites the entire car. Whoa. Right. So when you look at, for example, Kia, Kia has um, the, on the, on their grill something called a tiger nose, right? Which when Audi's designer Peter Schreier went from Audi to Kia came up, that's a, a seminal design element. And you see, once you notice these things, you see them all over the car. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at a car, looking at a piece of music, it's like, how is everything linked to one overall thematic design element? And mm-hmm. that's what for me makes great design, what makes great cars, what makes great, um, like, aesthetic concepts is that even if you can't see like, Oh, it's just a nice car, blah, 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 blah. But there's like a central underlying idea to the whole thing. So it's like a unifying principle that applies to cars and to music. But it's, I think it's what interests me is that principle of like a unifying idea applied to different things. Totally, mm-hmm. Right. And for me, it happens to be cars and music and like sometimes like fashion, but yeah. have you watched the documentary on Netflix, the abstract one? No. So there's a, there's a, it's a, a documentary series called abstract and each episode focuses on like a different part of design. It's like the one is about architecture. The one's about illustration, but there's one about car design mm. and it sucks because it's like, I feel like they got stuck with a, a less interesting car. I think they're doing Chrysler or Dodge or something like that, yeah. which is, you know, do you, do you like those cars? <laughs> I neither confirm nor deny my appreciation of these vehicles. I don't know her. <laughs> but it was like a really interesting guy and he's talking about like like he's his he was like tasked with like the reinvention of Chrysler. I think it was like whatever that time period was like in Detroit when they're like they're they're doing terrible and they have to figure out yeah. how to do it. It'd be cool if it was like an Audi they focused on like like their kind of shift or like a car that's probably I don't know like Mercedes or something that sounds mm-hmm. like it's a little bit more flashy, a little bit more exciting. But it's cool. 
cool. Like, like they, they think about it so much more than you realize they do. And they like, especially like the interior and like the way the lights look and the way that the windows connect to the mirrors and like all that oh, kind of yeah. stuff. It's like all the stuff, like it's like the Apple like mentality. It's just like, we're making all these things so that you don't notice them, which is, which means that mm-hmm. we did it right. Exactly. Yeah, you should it's like sound it. design yeah. in a film. Beauty and cohesion. Yeah. Right. It sounds Do good. you see a future for yourself where you can do this and music? No, I just prefer to critique cars from a distance. Keep it as a hobby. Yeah, so it's just a hobby. Maintain. Like I'll never, I'll never, because the further you go in anything, the more expertise is required. Mm-hmm, so right. I prefer to just, you know, make pot shots at cars that I don't like right. and accept my judgment as final and absolute. <laughs> totally. And it's just like fun and I just enjoy talking about so it. So are but. you like renting high quality cars for fun? Are you, are no, you test driving stuff at, uh, it's at, funny. Um, what's it called? Dealerships? Dude, dealerships. I don't, I don't do that unless like, I think I have done that in the past, but I don't test drive just to see what a car is like unless I'm going to buy it. Cause the salespeople are often like I've encountered salespeople who love cars and salespeople who are salespeople just trying to make a living. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it just takes time away from them. So I don't do that. Um, I had an offer. I didn't take up. Unfortunately, I should have on renting a Tesla for like a couple of days. I was going to mm. be, you didn't take- I didn't take it up because I came back and we were right in the pandemic. So I couldn't, like, yeah. Was, yeah, this was is not a great time to and, be testing cars. Yeah. And I can't like, I couldn't like plug it anywhere. Mm. Um, but I do, it's funny, like there was a, I think Porsche had a subscription thing where you could like rent a Porsche for like an hour or something like that, but the, the app yeah. didn't work and <laughs> it's like super, it's like crazy expensive and stuff. Yeah. So I don't think I'll do that, but I just think it's, it's the kind of thing where as soon as you have any disposable income, that's what it should be going to cars, like weird, fun test drive. Like there in New York, there's this big club that I don't know what it's called, but essentially this guy has all of these old, beautiful cars and mm-hmm. then uh, you pay a monthly like membership fee and you can rent these cars whenever you like. Yeah. You take them out for the day. And but, I feel like there must be a Toronto equivalent. I'm sure there is. Like I would love, like I think things like that, it's fun to do for an hour yeah. or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like, I, I, but I like the car that I have, like the car that I, you know, yeah. this is going to turn into a Volkswagen commercial. So I don't know if we want to like how much further we want to go down this road. <laughs> <laughs> like, Volkswagen, if you want to pay us, we'd be happy to take it. <laughs> no, Daniel has a red brand new spanking one. It's yes. Can beautiful. you tell us about your car? I Really? Okay. I, would, really? I can cut it out, but I would like to hear about okay, it. Okay. So I drive a, uh, tornado red Mark seven Volkswagen golf. <laughs> Tornado Sport red wagon. It's oh, tornado boy. red as opposed to typhoon red or hurricane. No, which are different shades. No, those, those <laughs> shades don't actually exist. Uh, but it's what's special about it is that it is four motion, so it's four wheel drive, and uh, good for winter. Drive very good for winter, and also stick shift. And you can't buy a four wheel drive stick shift anymore. That's like the end of the line, basically. In history. Really, you've yeah, you history. Yeah, it's like Subaru makes. I think Subaru makes one, uh, and it's pretty much it. So four wheel drive and stick shift is is not a thing anymore, but it's like the best combination. Oh, it's so much fun. My uh, dad had a car like that, but we, we sold it. Uh, Apple apart. CarPlay? No, Android. Oh, Ooh. can I say that? Ooh. Ooh. Big, Ooh. big no. This is going to be a short episode. <laughs> short episode. Okay. Well, thank Thanks, you so everyone. much for coming. Oh. <laughs> we all like start our, our yeah. iMessage group chat. Oh. Being like, Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> You're no longer part of this group chat. Um, yeah. So do you like it for, I'm sorry, I'm really focused on the car. Do Are you going on road, is your dream to have a road trip? Yeah. Or so, just to like run, do errands in the city? No, I like, I love driving and I love, um, 
I love driving at night. That's a yeah. big thing yeah. because I don't know if it's just because of like maybe my undiagnosed ADD, which was what's been mildly diagnosed, but, um, I think like driving at night, it forces you to focus cause you can only see where the lights illuminating. Mm-hmm. Right. But you're, but you're still, so your mind is active, but it's focused. So it's very meditative. Yeah. So I love driving at night down dark roads. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's very, very relaxing because totally. like, music's going, it's just like, so I love, I love that. I can drive for hours and hours and hours. So this, this year I've only recently started to drive more because I've not supposed to take the subway as much as I can right. or whatever. Right. So like I have been spending more time in the car and I drive a, a smart car most of the time, okay. which is hilarious because a, you can park anywhere and it's great. And you never have to get gas because it lasts forever. Right. But like I've only, it's like you start picking up on like the little mini things about driving that I didn't, I wasn't used to or whatever. And like, I can't tell you how fired up I get when I'm in the car and like, you're like turning somewhere and like there's traffic and then you get like waved in, like someone like stops mm-hmm. to like let you in. And I just do the, you know, like the three <laughs> finger kind of like, and they do it back. And I'm like, oh yeah. That <laughs> and then it's just like. You know, you just like yeah. point, like wake at each other, be like, "Oh, thanks, man." You like made my day. But then, if I don't get the wave, or like someone <sighs> goes in and you let someone in and you don't get the wave, Instant that'll rage. ruin my whole goddamn day. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. that's also very much a difference between like my mother and my father. My father's like, a, "Keep the hand on the steering wheel," like, "Thank you," and yeah. my mother's like, w- "Like both hands up, like rolls down the window." Yeah. Like, Thank roof. you. I'm a window sunroof waiver. I Thank want them to know. You. Yeah, seriously. Because yeah. I'm like, maybe if I let them know, maybe they'll let somebody else know. You know, we can pass on the goodness. What I love is when we're all doing the zipper, and and it's like we're all letting like you, one person. Okay, I let him into, and we're all just doing it. This like seamless just flow. Good Canadians. Good one Canadians. Time. It was on a TikTok video. It's really? like this happens only in Canada. Maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe it happens in other places. But you know, people doing the zipper. Look, they just let each other in rather than having gridlock. But then good I Lord. found also like there's been a lot of construction on Bathurst Street lately, and like mm-hmm. right before you get to my intersection, there's like the one the right lane is blocked at the end, and so like everyone kind of lines up in the left hand lane, and they're like just going up. Everyone's like, you know what, we're gonna stay this lane because you can't change it too but then there's that one asshole who's like drives into the right and drives all the way to the end and then tries to cut in and then there's like kind of like a, a communal kind of we're not gonna let this piece of shit solidarity in. We're not gonna, no you think you can skip it no you can't like because you gotta wait like everybody else and then then one so, person breaks it it's its um, own etiquette that's me i'm, I'm that person you're the person oh absolutely oh, i'm not, I'm not, I'm not bold all enough. the way up and I'm just like, this is legal. This is okay. Yeah. And then there's people who like, and then you merge and you, your hand's already out the window. And you're like, I'm going in, you know, like, you know, like I'm coming in. Right. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I'm that person. I make so apologies. after high school, you decided teaching was your. Yeah. I decided on, I started with teaching well, music first, I did a performance degree. Um, and then I did an education degree after that. And how do, what were you thinking about? when you were making those decisions. Right. So I decided to do performance. I knew I was going to be teaching, but I thought if I'm not, if I didn't feel for myself that I was a really qualified performer, then what right do I have to teach? Mm, right. right. Now that's not, it's not incumbent upon all teachers to have done a performance degree. Mm-hmm. Right? right. But so don't send me hate mail or send me hate mail. It's fine. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like I was, I was just like, for me, I wanted to be able to perform and to be able, I wanted to be qualified as a performer and then as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that kind of actually makes sense just in terms of my personality in terms of like what I'm actually doing. Cause I'm half performing and I'm half teaching right now. So 100%. there we have it. So, uh, so I did performing first, uh, tuba performance, 
uh, University of Calgary, and then I did education. And I was really struggling with, do I become a, like, should I do professional music or should I be a, uh, a pedagogue teacher? And I always had like, like one foot in in both of the worlds, I guess all the way through. Uh, I taught for four years and then I did my master's degree in England. Oh wow! And then when I came back, I was teaching um, music, I think four classes of music. No, I was teaching three classes of music, three grades of music, four grades of French, one grade of Christian education and one grade of boys health. Yes. What yes, a concoction. That's exactly what it sounds like. Did you ever have like a specific age group of kids you wanted to teach when you were going through this? Oh, uh, my it- favorite is probably grade nines. Grade nines are the most fun, I think. Wow. Mm. Grade nines are horrific. No, so. they're great. Grade eights are grade eights are grade eight, grade nine are probably my favorite. Um, seven is like okay. Uh, and 10 is like, okay as well too, but eight, nine are definitely like the most fun, I think, to teach. Most traumatic years in my life. Yeah. yeah I wouldn't relive them, but I, I see that. Yep. I, I feel There's bad a for very real part me. of me that wanted to be a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. I feel like grade nine would It's super been, fun. It's yeah. super fun. What was your master's in? Uh, I was, I did a philosophy performance. So it was conducting basically. Good Lord. Smart Quite cookie. highly educated. Uh, yeah, smart they, all, they all sound good. They all, <laughs> it all so, sounds good. Then how did conducting come into your life? So conducting as a teacher, you're always conducting, right? And then I started conducting when I was oh, in high school. Yeah. But then actually being able to do it professionally, that's another thats another thing. So it's a very slow, it's like you can't get work because you don't have experience. You can't experience, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's one of those things. Mm-hmm. So you just, you're kind of like at the behest of people that will let you conduct. So you just let people know that you want to conduct. And then one day somebody will say, hey. Why don't you, let's give him a, let's give him a shot on the old podium. Let's go up there and give it a whirl. And I did. And you just keep asking. And then I was asked by some friends to conduct a little orchestra that they had. So I did that. Then you get some footage of yourself conducting, which is proof. Then you send that off to a bunch of places that reject you. Reject like a you, demo reject. reel. Exactly. You get a demo. Oh my gosh. Exactly. You get a demo reel. Perfect. <laughs> send it off, and then you keep getting, you know, every like, I think like every eight or so rejections, I get something. So what do they, what do they, okay. I was talking about this with my cousin. Cause like, I don't a hundred percent know exactly what the conductor does. And like, he was talking to me cause like, I love, I've only recently kind of getting, getting a like resurgence back to the symphony because mm. they were doing those movie uh, shows. We went to go see all the star Wars oh, and yeah. stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But then like you watch the, every conductor is different, right? Everyone yeah. like, do they grade you on terms of like a technical aspect, like a performance aspect and like just like a charisma aspect? Like how do they like, how do, what makes a good conductor? Right. So all those things, um, cause people ask, like, what does a conductor do? And my question is usually like, what doesn't a conductor do? Especially mm-hmm. lately, it's just like, well, I feel like I'm doing everything. Um, you do. So I'll just tell you like what my audition was for Kitchener Waterloo Symphony. This was six years ago. Uh, first I had to conduct the orchestra. Then I had to do well in an interview with like musicians and, um, the, all the admin. And then I had to do three speeches um, one for adults, one for school. And one is if I was speaking to like, I don't know, like young kids, none of which could go over 90 seconds and they were timed. Then I had to, um, conduct the youth orchestra and the youth orchestra graded and evaluated. Like they put in a vote as well too, for who the conductor should be. Wow. And then the worst part, what the worst part was having to do, having to have lunch with all of the other candidates and with members of the board and members of the public and members of the orchestra. So you're sitting there, you know, uh, at a table with somebody who's conducting before you and 
playing nice it's like the and Hunger just talking. Games. Yeah, it's like da 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 da. And that was really um, that was like absolutely harrowing. Did you get to bring your own lunch? Because I feel like a big part of it would be based on like what you're trying to eat. Like it's, it's like, <laughs> well, like, like, a, like a full burrito. Like, <laughs> like full yeah, that takes no, confidence. You like no, you had to like it's because like, you're actually. It's funny you mentioned that because one of the comments that they gave to me after I got the job was like, yes, you eat really well because good table manners are important. It's really important because they're going to be putting you in front of donors. You you might meet the mayor. You might Mm. meet the, you might meet the prime minister or or the premier and you're going to be at a function. And if you're so like dumb that you get there hungry Mm -hmm. and now your plate is full and your mouth is full as you meet the most important person who's going to be giving you, um, perhaps a grant. Yeah. They can't, they can't trust you with that. Right. So, so it's just like you take, put like four things on your plate and you only drink white wine. There's all these rules and that's what I've they want to. Right? never thought yeah. about or that. Yeah, a repeat of music. the juice dumpling fiasco we just had. And I just shot <laughs> juice across the room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you get like half a glass of white wine with ice so that it really? lasts. And so you don't get drunk and you don't have red wine in your teeth. You always take things with it because you're going to be shaking hands. So you can't. So there's all these things, right? Yeah. So what does the conductor actually do? So that's, that's, that's all the other stuff. And if you can do that, then, then you have a shot actually being in front of the podium. And I think one of the things that gives um you're like the face of the orchestra you're absolutely the face of the orchestra the back of the orchestra your, and people look back at that. to the audience <laughs> that's right, that's right, that's right. the back and the face the back and the face you are the yeah it's a, yeah so that's one of the things that makes it um that makes it tricky and then in terms of the actual orchestra um it looks like you're just of course it looks like you're just waving your arms you are waving your arms but the higher up you go I think with anything, what separates, I guess, an amateur from professional is the amount of control that they have, mm. where it's like tiny little things make a huge difference. So for a professional baseball player, you know, like the type of bat they have or like the, the quality of chalk on their like on their gloves or whatever makes a difference. That was definitely another right? one of questions. Cause like I've, I've heard a lot of interviews with like rock stars and stuff who like, who like trade guitars, be like, it's like almost like, like knights sharing swords and stuff like that. Do, do, do conductors have that with like, what's the wooden the stick baton? called? The baton. The baton. I can, um, is there like a baton like store? Like where you like, do they have like, I always can say magical properties like wands or something like that. But like, it'd be cool. Like if they had like, do they have like, um, is it more just like a technical thing or do they have like an added level of personality to them? So for me, for the technique that I use with batons, it doesn't, I can use for me, it's mostly about the length and the weight, mm. but that's because of my particular technique, but other conductors, like what the baton is doing is magnifying the divisions of time that the conductor is creating by the, through their motion. Right. Mm. So it just depends on like the length of the baton and the weight depends on how much you want to magnify, um, to people who are further away. Um, so I haven't found that like, there's necessarily a, like, it's not really like sharing swords. I can, I can use basically any baton, but it wasn't like that until about four years ago. Cause I changed my technique and chose how I did things. So sometimes baton can get in the way. Sometimes it can be useful. Um, I don't know if that answers the question. How did you change your technique? Oh, uh, well, okay. Um, <laughs> here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Okay. So if, so for like the person who's listening, it's like, what is the person, like what is actually happening when a person's conducting? So imagine that you are, imagine that I'm sitting across from you and I'm playing charades with you kind of, but I'm trying to, I, I'm trying to dictate letters to you just using my finger, like pointing in the air. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so imagine like the tip of my finger, like ET is kind of like a point of light. Right. So if I do that in a steady way, 
that's very easy for you to read the letters that I'm, that I'm, that I'm giving to you, right? Like a big H or a big E or whatever. Right. But now imagine that I have my arm with a stick and I'm like waving it so that when my arm, like when my elbow's low, the stick is high and it's kind of like a sine wave, just like flop around in the air. It could be a lot. If there's a lot of extraneous motion there, it can be a lot harder for you to read the letters that I'm trying to create in the mm-hmm. air. Right. So the baton can help with that or it can, harm with that. It depends on what you're, what you're doing. So you might watch a conductor doing that sort of stuff and say, well, it still looks like they're flopping, but what you'll notice is that there's regular motion. So even conductors who look like their motions are very wild or doing different things, the motion is regular. If you're counting, it's like a regular pattern. And that's what the orchestra is looking at. It's the regularity of the motion. And let me tell you, with a really good orchestra, TSO, KWS, Thunder Bay Symphony Orchestra, if you change that regularity, even if you're flopping in a, in a way to the audience that looks really crazy, right? You're flapping around, you're flapping. But if you go from, a, like, if you change it, slightly slow down a tiny bit, Everybody changes. Mm-hmm. Everybody mm. notices the change. So what you're doing is creating, the conductor's creating a regularity of motion so that the deviations from the regularity indicate something changing. Yeah, you almost have to be like one step ahead of them, even though they know what they're doing because they're reading along. It's almost like you have to be like, by the time you're finished this next note, this is what you need to be doing with the next right. one. Exactly. And, my- and there are like specific motions right like four four time is its own like boom 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 yeah it's a specific pattern like down left right up like so floor uh, ceiling wall no wait and higher is louder like are there are there like hard and fast rules um like there are yeah in order to get the i'd say in order to get the orchestra to play louder you yourself have to become louder internally Right? It's like your body and yeah, like your motion. You're louder. And it, but because if you get bigger, that doesn't necessarily mean louder. Right. Right. Um, because that could that could all that usually means slower. Mm-hmm. Right. So really it is nonverbal expression. Whoa. And I can sometimes like as the orchestra gets louder, I actually I get smaller. Mm. Right. Like a 747 is piloted, or say like a 7777, right? It's piloted with like two or three fingers often. Right. Like if you watch like on YouTube videos of people landing planes, they're not sitting there with like both hands, like moving the yoke in and out or the control stick. No, it's just like a couple of fingers, this huge, huge plane. Same thing with the orchestra. You have like baton and you're guiding, you know, a hundred people with just like the ends of your fingertips. And it's really, really fun. Like it's absolutely, it's incredible. It's a job that people, Oh, it looks like it's so much fun. It looks like it's so amazing. It's this, it's that. Yes. It's all of those things. You're, moving this huge ship with just your fingers and you're creating sounds and making things mm-hmm. happen just with your fingertips. It's really, it's really It's wild. incredible to watch. I've seen you now a couple of times doing that. And it's just like, you're like in your own zone and it's like a language. It's like a symbiotic language yeah. you have with the orchestra, but also with the audience, because you're like a little bit of a cue of what's to come. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do know what you're looking for when you're, and even if you're familiar with the piece, it's like when I always find that that's what I focus on a lot is the conductor and just like, what is the vibe that's about to happen? That's so interesting. Cause I never think about, I do not think about what my conducting looks like to the, to the audience. As a all. little girl, I'd only ever watch the conductor. Oh, I was yeah. never looking at anyone else. That's so, that's so interesting. Like I don't think about it because I'm still, no, I mean, I'm thinking about what's going to be good for the What's going to be good for the orchestra? Do you, yeah. do, is there like a, this is sort of like an airy fairy question, but is there like a connection you feel specifically with some like symphonies? If you're, if it's going well, is there like a connection going on? Can it, can it go poorly or not? Oh yeah. Yeah. And is for that sure. based on like, oh, yeah. there's a, oh, yeah. there's a vibe oh, yeah. that's not there. Like you're yeah, not understanding you each like, other. 
Um, hmm. Yeah, like I'd say like there, especially at the beginning, like, you know, the first rehearsal, it takes a little bit of time sometimes for an orchestra to really understand what you're doing. And sometimes things just go fine. Other times it's like, oh, there's like real chemistry here or they just understand. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And that can be based on a number of factors. That can be based on how well they know you. That can be based on how long you've worked with them. That can be based on how good you are. Right. Basically, like, because some conductors are like incredibly physically gifted right. where every motion they make just intuitively tells musicians what to do. Even if you can't, even if like looking at it, you wouldn't understand it. Right. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of different factors. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But a lot of it is relationship and trust over time. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's great it. to see that parallel between conducting an orchestra and probably being a teacher in a classroom. Right. Like mm. that's probably quite a similar, mm. like the stronger you are as a teacher, the more that they're going to kind of react to you. And I, I wonder, have you experienced that kind of same relationship dynamic as a teacher? Yeah. There's a lot of similarities because you're working with people. Mm-hmm. I think over time they get to know you better. I know for, it was actually interesting because there was a time when I was working with, um, I had my school group and I had a university group and the grade nines who some of them had been, I'd been their teacher doing music, conducting them for four years. So, and it, at this point it was like, they would be with me, I think like half of the week. Right. So we were just together a lot and in the same building. Cause the school went from grade one to kindergarten, to grade nine. We were in the same building for like a decade years, for most yeah. of their life for 10 out of their 13 years. We were in the same building. For, so it's just like, it's just a lot of time. <laughs> right. So then you start conducting them. And it's like, they would respond to me really, really well. Cause they just knew how I moved and yeah. they just knew me and everything. So I could just look over like, Oh, he wants this. He wants that one. Where the university group, they were like far better players, but they still have to get used to me. So in terms of like working with groups, it's definitely, it's a relationship. Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes like one conductor said, it, I said to me, you know, you go to work with a group and either they like what you're doing or they don't. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like at a certain point you conduct the way that you conduct and you do things the way that you do and they see where they can fit you in and where there are mutually overlapping circles of interest. Mm. Right. And you hope as a conductor, you can make those circles as large as you possibly can, but you're all, you're always thinking about that. So sometimes um, it's about talent. Sometimes it's about fit, right? You might be like really, really good, but it's just like, Oh, we just can't, there's no fit for, there's no place for you here right now or whatever. So. Totally. Yeah. We talk a lot about our weeks on this show and I've, can't even kind of wrap my head around it, but what does like a conductor, maybe not in the pandemic, but what does a conductor's week look like in terms of like, so I guess if you had like a series of shows and stuff, like what is like the prep time in terms of like the, like what is an average conductor's week? Right. So if I have um, a show January 1st, Mm -hmm. then I have basically for me, I need to be, have all the music basically like known or memorized by Jan- by December 23rd. Okay. Which means that two weeks before that I have to be, you know, really studying and working on that, which means that I have to have the music like three weeks before that. You, you can't learn things fast. You have to marinate in them basically mm-hmm. for a while. So the week leading up to the concert, if the concert's on a, say a Friday night, the dress rehearsal is going to be the Friday morning or Friday afternoon. The Thursday and the Wednesday before will be probably two rehearsals each day, um, which is it can be very, very draining. Hopefully nothing in the evening. Well, in the evenings, though, there'll be interviews and, oh, I'll go for dinner with like a donor, or meet a sponsor, mm-hmm. or do mm-hmm. this, do an interview, uh, interviews during the days, the first rehearsal day you're getting there. I, I have a rule that I will try to wake up in the same city that I'm going to be conducting in. So yeah. never just like, okay, I have a three o'clock rehearsal. Okay, let's, you know, get on the plane at 6 a.m. No, that's just like asking for disasters for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And then, so, you know, the, the Friday concert starts you really start on the Monday, um, getting to wherever it is that you're going. 
And then after the concert, you know, concert's done at 10 o'clock. Oh, great job. Great job. Oh, it was wonderful. It was great. And you find out how it really went like, you know, six weeks later. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody was really, you get the email. They were really offended when you did. Um, (laughs) But then, uh, you know, you go for drinks. And then afterwards in the next day, you just like enjoy and relax and then have like hopefully a couple days off. Um, That's if you're doing stuff every week, which can be very, very exhausting. Mm -hmm. Because and you're also studying for the next show. Yeah, I was about to say like, how do you handle having more than one concert in a month? there within a couple of weeks yeah it's tough you have to have a lot of lead time and you have to be very judicious about um like i have a a concert coming up in six weeks or so and i'm thinking about um what am i going to program with them how much time do i have to study what does the audience want to hear what does the orchestra want to play what can i conduct really well what can i challenge myself with what if i program that might be appropriate for the audience and the orchestra would give me so much anxiety that it would be like not beneficial so there's like a sweet spot like uh, vincent chiksemihai talks about um flow Mm-hmm. Right. And find that sweet spot between ability and difficulty. Mm-hmm. If it's too easy, it's going to be boring. If it's too hard, it's not going to be functional. So, so I think about all those things when you're programming a concert. Wow. So you like, you have to be in that mindset for so much longer than the oh, actual yeah. concert. Like there's no, just like the week oh, of yeah. figuring it out. No, like, no, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> it's no, like an no, actor no, no, prepping no. for a play. Yeah. And you then have to, having to do multiple plays. Yeah. Like a different yeah. play every month. <laughs> But that's, but that's actually, that's, you know, that's exactly what it is. You're wow. really acting out the score for the musicians yeah. and you're guiding and it's like this and you're, you're directing, you really are like very tangibly directing things. And that's, what's exhausting about it is even if I've done a, like, for example, I did a run of Nutcracker once we did 10 shows of the Nutcracker, right? You think, okay, you've done like four shows, five shows. Okay, great. Number six. No, it's still, you're, you're still like taking on this role. It's like, if you're like some actor in a play and you have to die at the end, it's like every night you have to die every time. Yeah. And it's the same thing, whether some people are like, oh, well, you know, you can, you conducted Thunder Bay and now you're in Toronto and it's an orchestra that's like much, much bigger. It's like, okay, well let's think, what, what if a pilot had that attitude? Um, okay. You know, well, I'm flying, you know, from Toronto to Montreal and then we're going Montreal to London. Sorry, both segments, like the short segment, the smaller segment and the large segment are equally vital. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's the exact same level of professionalism, whether you're working with a professional orchestra of 30 people in Thunder Bay or of like 83 people in Toronto or 53 in Kitchener or 80 mm-hmm. something in San Francisco. And every concert's the same, whether it's like uh, a young person's concert or a family concert, it's like, no, it's a hundred percent all the time. And that's what is, that's where the burnout factor can come yeah. in. That's where the, you have to be careful with how much you're taking on. Cause it's right. possible to go week, 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 week by week, by week, but you do have to, you know, learn the character of each piece and learn the character of each concert. Um, I had a question about some of what was covered in disruptor, the doc, but mm. I wanted to talk about that again. If could you talk about that specific concert you did? Was it the Halifax Symphony Orchestra? Uh, uh, Symphony Nova Scotia. Symphony Halifax. Nova Scotia. With Thor. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk about that night and um, sort of what you were trying to accomplish with that that evening? Right. Right. So um, it's funny because like a documentary is looking at things from a thirty thousand foot level. And when you're actually in it, you're just trying to put on a good concert. Right. And especially as a musician, as a conductor, I'm thinking about the music. I've already thought about the overall effect of the show in the evening months in advance. And that's kind of written in. So it's kind of like you write the script for the show, you write the stuff and now you're acting it out. So I'm not thinking on this huge, big level of what I want to create. Blah, blah, blah. I'm just thinking like, okay, tempos, timing, are we on stage at seven 30? Okay. Da, 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 what's happening. So you're thinking at a very, very small, like small micro level. 
in the actual thing. Um, what I wanted to accomplish overall with that when I'm in like administrative creative brain is just creating a space of education and entertainment. So people would come and be like, so they're coming for Thor Jr. It's kind of like the West jet philosophy <laughs> or act and which is based on Southwest airlines. I'm a pilot. I'm a pilot's license. So I think in terms of cars and airplanes, right. even you though just, I'm a conductor, you're one of the smartest people I've ever met. And it just blows my mind how much you like genuinely know about each of those things. <laughs> Thank you. That's, I appreciate that. So, okay. <laughs> but like Anyways. one of the, one of the things that the Southwest model was like, you know, you get on the plane, you play a low fare and you get more than you bargained for. So you'd get on, Oh, people are giving jokes and they're giving you free peanuts. Blah, blah, blah. And same thing with WestJet when they started. I'm actually an Air Canada fan, but that's another, that's another episode. That's another episode for reasons that we're not going to get into. Um, anyways, so it's kind of like that. Like, I want people to come. They're going to come for Thorgy. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh, my gosh, Thorgy's coming to Halifax. Oh, she has the Thorchestra. Oh, it's, oh, my gosh, we're going to come for that. Great. Those people who came to the concert for Thorgy would probably have been happy just to see Thorgy. Mm-hmm. Right? A couple orchestra pieces, fine, whatever. So what we gave them was Thorgy and Thorgy conducting the orchestra and Thorgy with the orchestra and a dance-off competition and um, Canadian LGBTQ history and then stories about Canadian LGBTQ heroes. So what you're trying to do basically is cover all the bases. You know, like if you have like, um, it's like salted caramel. Like caramel is sweet, but if it's too sweet, it's like just gross. But if you put a little salt, it's like, oh, ah, you should, like the different flavors, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing with a concert. You're covering- It's stuck in your teeth either way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, have the- caramel naysayer here but like if you get if you cover all the bases of the emotions in a concert then um then you're doing something special so i wanted people to learn about canadian lgbtq history uh see thorgy see thorgy in new ways that they didn't know about Mm -hmm. and leave feeling oh like we just came for thorgy but we got so much more and especially because like for people that are coming from thorgy's audience for those who might not know thorgy thor is like a uh, a drag queen who was on season eight Eight. or nine of rupaul's drag race and all stars and and thorgy's shtick was that she also was like a classically trained violinist Mm -hmm. like she wasn't not that anybody's just a drag queen but she also was like she wanted to incorporate that kind of music education into her persona on mm-hmm. and off stage and in and out of drag. Mm-hmm. So I like again that was something that really starstruck me about this documentary when I was watching it. I was like, "Oh my god, like I love Thorgy and that realm of the media that she comes from, but I'm also so excited to see her combine this other part of her persona." Yeah. And yeah, and it seemed like it went well. It went really well. Like at one point she plays in one piece um violin and cello in the same yeah, piece. Yeah, that was wild and to it's, watch. Yeah, it's you don't you don't see that. So she has a talent not only for drag but also for music. Yeah. And then but the biggest talent is again like from the 30,000 foot perspective, a talent for all those talents. Like you yeah. have to be able to manage that. You have to be able to do that. You have to be able to maintain that. You have to be able to like and entertain while oh you're doing gosh. it. Like that was it's like crazy. a lot of fun to watch. Like just like how engaged the audience gets cuz I feel like and correct me if I'm wrong, but there is often kind of like a persona of like classical music's very like quiet and boring and just mm-hmm. sit down and you know, listen for the good notes, but it was like, there was such an energy to that concert of like, it was almost like going to a rock concert, but it was still Mm -hmm. like, you're there for the classical music. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing, like sometimes people, is there really that, that person of the classical music form? Because I hear, you know, even, even in this conversation, you went to see the star Wars concert, right? That counts for me as classical Mm. people. like, Oh, I went to see like, um, a Nina Simone tribute concert. Like that's also orchestral. Right. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there's always, um, this trope of orchestral music is 
and I've changed from classical to orchestral, but there's always this trope of oh, orchestral music is like dying and like, oh, yeah. everybody has like the white hair. And like, oh, it's a, the, oh, the audience is getting older. What are we going to do? There's actually a study that was done every 10 years going back to 1840. There's a new reason why orchestral music's dying. Right? And in 1870, it's like, oh, like the operas, they can't fit enough people, blah, blah, blah. In 1880, it's another reason. In 1890s, meanwhile, simply Nova Scotia, most of our concerts are sold out. TSOR stuff is selling out. Everybody's selling out. We're still, we're still going. We're still, we're yeah. still here. I did have a I question about that nowhere. because it seems yeah. like it is like a kind of a stereotype that is baked in that like uh, classical and orchestral music is kind of old and like, you know, it feels like it's Stuffy. not as exciting. So like how... How how do you feel like they they do inject a bit of excitement and they keep it current for every generation like to keep going because it has been around forever right and then it's still you said this the tickets still sell out and stuff and like they kind of come up with new ways to uh, show off this side of music that people aren't always like well I guess in my circles are like grasping to get a, like their hands on and stuff like that like mm-hmm. how do you feel like they maybe even the TSO to be specific how does it keep getting people in the door I would say just like. I get because I resist the trope that we're trying to get people in the door. Uh, I would say just having doors. People do like it. People love these instruments. That like viola, for example, sounds so much like the human voice in terms of the way string instruments work. They will all we will always have string instruments. They will always be there. And I think the trope of us almost always being like in the intensive care unit about to die is maybe like a great way to create a permanent emergency situation whereby we can like keep people like motivated. No. So, okay. But like, to be fair, yes, there have, there are dire straits and there are orchestras that close. So what do we do to stay relevant? I think that this is a question that we have to be asking all the time, not just like uh, once in a while and not as a result of us being on some sort of a deathbed, which I don't necessarily believe exists because I'm so busy right now. <laughs> Even in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so how, what, what are we doing to, to, um, I, I don't even want to say we remain relevant because it get because that assumes that we're not relevant. I think like Star Wars, like we do, da-dum. yeah, like that's Jaws. Everybody <laughs> knows that. I'm sorry, that's a double bass playing in an orchestra playing orchestral music. So yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, Beyonce Lemonade has uh, Tchaikovsky in it, Swan Lake, right? That's Beyonce. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it's like it's there, and I, I didn't, nobody asked her to put that, she decided to put that in there, right? So um, so it will continue on, but what are we doing to make sure that it stays relevant to the, the, that we're reaching people? I think one of the things that's changed is that like orchestra is now, um, being seen more as a library of different sounds that can be applied to different music of different peoples, different yeah. times and places. Um, in addition to Bach, Beethoven, Brahms, Beyonce, Berio, um, Bula's, all the different sorts of music that we love. Right. So I think it's expanding in terms of itself becoming um, just like a catalog of sounds that we can apply. For example, Symphony Nova Scotia in February, I'm going to be doing a reggae concert, one of the first like concerts of reggae and orchestral fusion that I, as far as I know that's happened in Canada. If somebody else has done it, let me know. That's fine. Um, but that's, a really important thing that's happening, right? And we're mm-hmm. using orchestral that's instruments. Incredible. Like the viola just sounds good. The clarinet just sounds good. We can use it for things other than Beethoven. We absolutely should continue to use it for Beethoven because Beethoven sounds freaking amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think having like these instruments, like, yeah, they just sound, sorry, I, I don't know. It's like an absolute for me at this point, right? Yeah. Like yeah. in a way that car design isn't, you know, it's like mm. these instruments just sound so good. The sound of the oboe, I just love it. I love the clarinet. I love the tube. I love the trombone, the French horn. I just love how it sounds. It just reaches a very deep place in me that's fundamental and absolute needs no explanation. I can provide explanations why I love all this stuff, but at the end <laughs> of the day, it's just like, I'm sorry. I just like, I yeah, just you just it. like it, you know? So I don't think, um, as long as there are people like me that are like fighting to make it more accessible. Um, 
you know, like, like, you know, major banks are giving money so that we can have funding for people under 30 to come to concerts. Yeah. And that's great. That's yeah. great. I think that's a great you know? word. It's not necessarily about relevance. It's about accessibility and about like making sure that as well as the current generations, but the future generations are have access to it and can also make it part of their own identity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Like that's what I, I, a lot of the times we, we do some other work with the TSO and the word pops is always thrown around. We need to do this for pops, for pops, for pops. And I was like, what does that even mean? And it's like, Oh, well that's just popular music, but that's just defined by year. And like, mm-hmm. that can really be anything. Like it doesn't have to be like literal, like Beyonce pop music. Yeah. It's just like scores, film scores, like any music that's like from modern day is pop, but it's like, Oh yeah, that's a whole branch of audience that I don't even think about that are like not just there for straight Mozart that are like yeah I want to hear all these different kinds of music the movie the live movie soundtracks is one of the most genius things that they've ever decided to do and Mm -hmm. I think I went because I saw the I've seen Star well most of the Star Wars the last one has been delayed because of the pandemic but like Mm. the first one I saw was the Lord of the first Lord of the Rings movie and I think it should be mandatory that every child or like middle aged young person should be middle aged young person person (laughs) should be sat down and made be like listen to them play this music live with the movie or like just like listen to it or like I the last concert I went to go see was John Williams night with my dad. And yeah. they're like, they're like, okay. And he did this movie. And then you're like, you listen to all the music. Yeah. It should be, it should be mandatory for you to sit down and just be absorbed by that kind of music. And they're like, you realize how it, it different it is to see that being played live yeah, as well as it. just hearing it too. But yeah. then like you watch the movie and you hear the soundtrack and I've seen those movies hundreds and hundreds of times and it sounds exactly the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're like, it is blowing my mind. Like the, the woman who comes out the back, there's like the part of the end of the Lord of the Rings when Gandalf falls off the bridge. He's like, yeah. And then yeah. she sounds exactly like the movie. And I was like, they got that girl. I'm like, how did they yeah. find the same person? This movie came out like 10 years ago. That's, it blows my mind. It was That's fantastic. so great. That's fantastic. Um, so I just wanted to ask um, about thinking of this sort of platform, a symphony is, it can expand to be anything like what you did with Torji turned mm-hmm. into a fashion show, catwalk, political statement, education, Mm-hmm. space uh, what's your dream what's your dream symphony experience like if you could do anything you wanted in the next five years what would that look like right well i think just that like turning the space into something that is not only uh musical but is also educational activistic um informational entertain <laughs> entertainational no um that's not, that's not that's not a word um uh, i think just continuing to expand the ways in which that occurs mm. like that's the thing that i enjoy is take like making what could just be a concert of music yeah and creating something bigger and more intersectional but yeah like so that's the thing so in terms of specific ideas and stuff like that like i mean anything that's like that i'm really enjoying what i'm doing now so more concerts like Thorgy, more concerts that are pushing the boundaries of what um uh of, of what a concert can be um when we did that the the halloween movie thing i love that because it was like is this a found footage horror movie or is this a concert it was so fucking good and people lost their minds about that really that's okay it really like thought it was one of the greatest things that's like i'm so proud of that yeah that I'm was so, so well received. proud of that because that it was you know, on your as your epitaph it's like <laughs> yeah, like i was like really found footage really halloween like yeah and it was show. but again about accessibility like that's what was so genius about your idea is like obviously because of the pandemic the tso can't do all their 
holiday event concert. So they still did a traditional Halloween concert Mm -hmm. that you interspliced with this fictional found footage short film that weaved together and introduced every single segment for kids watching. So it's not just like kids are sitting down for an hour to just watch music that they can't interact with. It's like they get to watch a story and a narrative unfold at the same time. And I think there was like a bit of hesitancy all across the board from every side about like, how is this really going to work? And you were just so like, no, I know what we need to do to make this engaging and mm-hmm. you killed it. And it was just, but it was so fun to watch at no point. I was like, I wasn't like bored in any way. I wasn't bored during the concert parts or during the short film parts. It was just like, this is so seamless. And, and I, and you also gave a bit of information in the same way. And I think just like back to the point about education, like I learned a lot about that because you also found a good way to incorporate composers and mm-hmm. history and influence of these pieces that then the orchestra would play. So it was like, yeah, I, I thought that was so genius. And then I was like, oh, I, I went home and I, I learned more about Tchaikovsky. And I, I was like, mm. oh, and, and then seeing the overall relevance and influence that that music has in modern day scores is like, you know, an ignorable. That's great. That's because it, it comes from the, um, the thing I talked about at the beginning with Schoenberg saying everything the same, everything different and having that like one seed from which everything else flows. And it was the same thing for that show. It's like how dense can we possibly make everything so that everything there's no fat in it. Every line counts, everything yeah. is being taught stuff. So I was, yeah, I was really, I was really happy with how that, um, how that came about and just the fact that we were able to do something new and different because nobody's ever done like a found footage horror movie concert before. No, but it was so, brilliant. Yeah. I think when, and especially too, like when we had to say that so many times to different people were like, we're doing like a Blair Witch project. Everyone was like, well, you're what? You're yeah, gonna, you're gonna exactly. do what? And that's what I want. That's what, like, that, children. That, yeah. <laughs> that's what makes me excited. It's like doing new, crazy, weird, yeah. new, crazy, weird stuff. So yeah. like that can be applied in different ways. But I think, um, I also like the activist part of it as I'm becoming more aware of just like, you know, like just injustice in the world and stuff, that's probably going to figure more in mm-hmm. some of my music making. Well, I think it's worth mentioning, like you are the first gay black male who is a conductor for the TSO. Oh, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. You yeah. are. I oh. remember that in the documentary. I wrote <laughs> oh, it down great. in an annotated transcript. Okay. <laughs> great, great, great. <laughs> and that's like a, which to us just seems so like, duh, but that's a yeah. huge feat. And it's like, you've literally yeah, commanded true, a stage to be like, not only have I fought to be here, but now like you have to listen to me. Yeah. Like there's no avoiding this. I'm going to sit down I'm going to shake the mayor's hand and you have to listen to me. Yeah. And I just think in that itself, again, you're harnessing another huge audience of people that might not feel like they have access to that because they don't see themselves in it. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's great. I'm watching like little documentaries by, um, there was a documentary by a photographer called something stellar, maybe Steve stellar. His last name is stellar. And he documented, he took photos from the seventies all the way, like in New York, Christopher street, all Stonewall from the seventies all the way through till now. And just listening to him talk, I was like, Oh, wasn't that long ago that like, they would not like, you know, Gay people couldn't even hold hands out in the street. Yeah. And he talks about what it was like when that transformation happened, how pride, uh, he said he was at a pride parade and he saw some guys. He's like, what do I know those guys from? And he's like, oh my gosh, I've only ever seen them in the dark. This is the first time now that mm-hmm. I can see them out in the light. It was a pride parade in the seventies, right? Like early seventies pre-AIDS. Um, and it's like, I was like, oh my gosh. And now here I am doing a concert with 4G Thor on stage yeah. with like, you know, major symphony orchestras. 
oh, wow. Yeah. But it's because of his work that I get to do that. It's because of his work, right? So I come along and it's like, okay, I'm going to do this. But I'm not like, you know they've created the possibility of that space. If I've done anything, I guess maybe I've, I've said, okay, here's who I am in that space. But there's a lot of people that had to sacrifice a lot for me to be able to do anything like this. Mm. So, mm. you know, and that's, that needs to be recognized and said, um, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, You're doing it well. Does the second violinist always have a chip on their shoulder? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're referring to. <laughs> um, no. No, in fact, no. They're just uh, happy to be there, no, ready to step no, it's in. Just like, it's just different. It's just different roles. It's just different roles. So it's not like better just or worse. Just filling the empty sound I behind the first violinist. It's like the difference between like first AD and second AD on a set. Like the oh, first boy. AD isn't like better than the second AD. They just have different roles they, to though? do. What's a first AD? A first assistant director is like the person who's like actually on the set being like, okay, roll camera. Like we got five minutes to do this take. This okay. person needs to do this and this and this and this. And the second AD is like a supporting function, but is more involved in like, has everybody traveled from their trailers? How much time do they have to get here? Like, okay. it's not necessarily that like your first be number then- one, if their job was number one. <laughs> It just means that like it's actually a breakdown of the director's roles. So it's like the first assistant needs to do this, and then the second assistant needs to do these, and then the third assistant is usually mm-hmm. like a trainee that like Who supports gets paid those functions. More. The producer. <laughs> Kid is in there. Well, it's like I was thinking about this because I remember when we went for John Williams, there's the second um second violinist was a bit older and looked like he was maybe in his fifties or something, like a seasoned musician. And then the first violinist comes out. 15 years old, maybe. <laughs> and he just like, you know, bows and just like goes. And you see that second, it's like that piece of shit. <laughs> and then like, you know, and just, he had this whole crazy solo and it was great. But then like, it also made me think of like, are there any like rock star mentality slash divas in terms of like people who have like certain instruments or like people who goes to their head? Like, does that kind of mentality come in at all to the orchestra world? Yeah, but it's a function of people and personality, not a function of instrument. Okay. Mm. So it can be anybody, anybody, in any section and, or on the podium as well too. It's just a, it's just a matter of personality. I wouldn't say, um, I think different instruments require different things of people. So for example, if you're playing as a section player, like one of seven or eight violinists, Uh that role is different. You're not a solo violinist, but then Mm -hmm. what you, what your job now is to fit in with everybody else. So you have to have this like 360 degree radar of not sticking out and blending and supporting and all pushing at the same time, which is very, very, exhausting and, 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 and exhausting in the sense of well that, that job, but also in terms of your own personality as a musician, you have to find that outlet somewhere else. Right. right. If you're the principal trumpet player, right. And you're playing, um, and you're playing star Wars, which every child, like whether, whether or not they're a musician, every person on the planet knows, it's all on you. Yeah. The 100%. That's a different sort of pressure. Right. Um, so different personality types will probably be more or less successful in those roles or personality types will have to have different coping strategies, blah, 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 insert mental health stuff here. But, um, yeah, I think, um, there are definitely real personalities in orchestral music, but I don't think it's a function of instrument. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then who would you say is like the biggest <laughs> unsung hero of the orchestra? Who is the person the who librarian. does the librarian, the librarian, 
What is like the one pulling the music? <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, no, you're I like, which it. instrument is that? Here we go. The yeah, unsung I never, there's a librarian. Yeah. Where are the, the music books? Elliot's like baffled. He's like, his yeah. like jaws on the floor. He's like, the library. Yeah, interesting. The librarian. So, okay. So think of it, right? Uh, orchestra is doing 40 concerts a year. Okay. And let's say each of those concerts has 60 pieces. This has six pieces of music on it. And each of those pieces of music, um, so whatever, that's like 240, right? And each piece of music is for 80 players, right? So that music all has to be cataloged, has to be created, it has to be bowed, which means that for the string players, each individual piece of music has to be gone over, whether the bows are going up or down, different directions, that all has to be done beforehand. Uh, it has to be ordered, it has to be, so their job is monumental and massive and nobody ever sees them. And if they make a mistake, Everything, Everything is over. Wrong. It's the, it's, it's the, it, you know, it's like the unsung hero of the airline industry is the person refueling the plane. Right. <laughs> and when right. They, and if they, and if they put in like, as, as has happened with the Gimli glider air Canada uh, in the eighties, seven sixty seven that landed in Gimli, Winnipeg. Um, if they put in pounds instead of kilograms of fuel and the plane crashes, that's the same as librarian. You can't, if they make a mistake, you don't find out until it's too late to fix anything. Mm -hmm. The librarian, the music librarians are the unsung heroes. They're, they are the place of, they're the clutch of the organization where the concepts of the, of the music director, blah, 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 meet the actual become physical realities in the music library. Right. Wow. Their job is huge. God, shout out to all those librarians. Oh my there. gosh. And dealing with licensing and like getting sync rights and all that stuff, making it possible. Are we allowed to play this piece? Can we get it in time for the composer? Oh. How many librarians does the TSO have? TSO has, uh, they, have one, they have three, three total. Three? Three total, yeah. I would have thought double that. Yeah, I know. Well, but this is the it's thing. Like that, that's the amount of That's the amount of work that they do. So it's wow. definitely the librarian. That's wow. an easy answer. Yeah. Wow. And you'll never see them. You'll never see them, but they're responsible. Truly well, next unsung. week we're actually going to bring a librarian in for the TSO. <gasps> really? No, oh. Kate just found out about this job 30 seconds ago. We actually have someone scheduled. <laughs> okay. Well, um, Daniel, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. This was wonderful. This was, yeah, thank you very much. I learned so much. I grew... I you cried. Grew, you cried. You laughed. I you laughed. laughed. I, I really become a car interior designer. <laughs> I think that's the new job, the job, job du jour. Really? Interior designing oh, cars. I'm so, I'm so nerdy about You've it. You've really started a, a movement. We didn't even get to talk a lot about your plane stuff. That's like a whole other thing. No, you it's have, all in there. I was in, I was in air stuff? cadets. I was in air cadets growing up. When nerd. did you have the time? <laughs> yeah, I, I was a total nerd. No, but that shapes a lot of, um, that shapes a lot of stuff. Yeah. That's, that's why you're so good at geography. My cousin right? was an air cadet. No way. And now he's in the army. No wow. way. Army or Navy? Army. Army. Or Navy. He's in somewhere in Alberta. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Lots Good going stuff. on there. He was in mm -hmm. La Latvia. Oh, wow. Latvia. I have a friend from Latvia. They probably met. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> should check out the uh, Conductor the, Disruptor documentary. Yeah, Disruptor CBC Conductor. Gem. Disruptor Conductor. Yeah. Watch. Yeah. Disruptor conductor, fall um, in love with Daniel for yourselves. Do you have anything? Fall in love again. Anything else you time. want to plug? Anything else coming up? Anything else you're working on? Let people know. Sure, I have concerts coming up with National Arts Center Orchestra that you can see online. Uh, lots of issues. I think this interview is great, and uh, the parking lot. I'm very happy to be on this episode because I've enjoyed you. your episodes so far. You guys are super awesome. Ooh, very great. smart and funny, so that's great. Um, yeah, I mean, just look on my website and I'll be posting stuff there. COVID's kind of thrown a wrench in the in the works a little bit, but mm 
but that's okay. There's lots of stuff that will be. Would you ever get a dog? I get a husky. You'd get a husky. Oh, yeah. I see. But there's that so much you. work though. There's so much work. I would dog sit if you need, need really? it. Yeah. Okay. Any, like literally anytime. Yeah. Okay. Oh, here. Last, very last important question. <laughs> okay. So you have a child. You're raising them. What <laughs> instrument are you pushing them to be like, you're, you're not, you're going to play piano? They are playing. Like, that's not Amen. even like, that's not even a question. That's just like, they're playing piano. Okay. What other instrument are they going to do? Smart. Yeah. Piano. They're yeah. starting on piano. Piano. And then after their vocal lessons, then we can talk about the instrument for band. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, it's like, yeah, that's not even like, that's not even a, that's not even a. It's not even a question. Not, Why would like you ask him that? you, Elliot? No. It's like, you're learning piano and what would you like for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, thanks. This has been a treat. It has what been. an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time, Daniel. Thanks. Yatsi. Yatsi.